welcome to the Tailored Life Podcast, the one and only fitness and nutrition podcast that goes way beyond just training and nutrition. I'm your host, Cody McBroom, and with me is my co-host, Travis McQueen. Today we got a Q&A, and I uh, pulled up something funny. I wanted to ask you a question first. Oh, God. Because um, this dude posted this. Uh, Cody Jefferson, buddy of mine. You win $1 billion if you beat one of these three in a fight with no weapons. Who are you picking? And it's a bear, a lion, or a gorilla. Who do you got? <laughs> That's so stupid. Um, probably a bear. That was my answer. Yeah, because so. I feel this is the stupidest answer, but that is also the stupidest question. <laughs> it's very dumb. Uh, You're fucked regardless. Well, you like you know, like people say that like if you get big and start screaming, yeah. bears will run away. Yeah. So I mean, you got to fight them though to win the billion dollars. I, you I, could scare them first. I'd scare them first. There you go. And then kind of sneak around, and scare them again. <laughs> <laughs> sneak around. I think a lion or a fucking what is that gorilla? Just fucking laughing at you and grabbing your head and popping Crushed it off. my head. Yeah, I don't know. I, well, I was like, I said bear because if Leonardo DiCaprio could do it, I could do it. Because that movie, <laughs> yes. The Revenant, right? Yeah. This guy comments and goes, Leo had a weapon, though. With a knife, you can beat all of them if you're going to take a lot of damage. I don't see a way you'd beat any of them until you're on top of you. You'd have to stab the heart and be prepared that you're going to get a lot. Dude, this goes on and on and on. He breaks down each person, and I'm like... First of all, who are you? Yeah. It's like, well, why are you doing this, right? And then I scrolled down, and he's, like, debating with everybody who answers it. And it's not even the guy who posted it. And he's, like, literally breaking down, like, somebody was, like, a gorilla will bite you. And he's, like, actually, gorillas don't bite. When they fight, they blah, 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 blah. It's, like, National Geographic oh or something. Oh, my God. I'm just cracking up. I'm like, <laughs> where do you have time to do this? Yes. Holy shit. Some people. Good for you. I mean, he knows a lot about lions, bears, and gorillas. I mean, but... I know this is what you're thinking. It's like, don't utilize your time. Yes. <laughs> on Facebook debating. Exactly. Get some work done. Yeah. What the fuck? I usually don't even comment back on yeah. those kind of things. But I I'm like Cody. I'm surprised you're looking at something I like know. that. <laughs> well, I like Cody a lot. And, yeah. and the question. Who's Cody Jefferson? He is. Uh, it's hard to explain what he is or does. <laughs> I've jumped on the phone with him a bunch of times. Uh, he is a, he's a business coach. Okay. But he's like. He works for a couple of different, like he, he does like high level stuff with CEOs of companies. He helps them like basically build and sell their companies. Gotcha. So he's doing shit that I just, I'm friends with him because of different reasons, covered in tattoos, in the same music. Like I've asked him questions and we have some commonality stuff, but he was also a pastor for like 15 years. Pastor? Before, yeah. Before he shifted out of the church to do this. And it's like a really cool fucking story of how he went from that to this. Yeah. Like, so, um, I asked, I was like digging into his history just because it was just yeah, a cool is conversation. Is he a lion Uh He has a company called Embrace the Lion. What? That's, I mean, that's like his coaching company. Oh, Embrace no way. Lion. Yeah. I don't know where the question came from. Yeah. I have no idea. I think he literally, that's, I mean, just, social media 101, it's engagement. Yeah. You know what I mean? People yeah. are going to answer that fucking post. Yeah. That's what I remember when I was really into Facebook and trying to push content through there and everything. I would post at least two to three times a week, like, Nikes or Adidas. Yeah. You know what I mean? Something stupid where I know people are going to be like arguing and debating, like going off just to rank up comments and create engagement. And then the next day I would post like, check out this blog. Yeah. And more people would see it. Yeah. You know? Um, well, there's no uh, argument there. No. I mean, it's, it's Nike. I, <laughs> I mean, there's just no argument. That's, I think I'm it's, so I think it's dependent on what you're wearing. If it's clothes, Nike all day. If it's shoes, I actually like Adidas better. I think complete opposite. Really? You I mean, like I like clothes better than Nike clothes? Oh, absolutely. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think Nike clothes look not, way cooler. I like Nike clothes, but I think Adidas apparel is really like, mm. love it. Yeah. 
All right. Let's you think I would too because I'm a soccer player, but I was a soccer player. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I don't know. Nike shit looks cool to me. But it does. Adidas like Ultra Boost. Once they made those, I was sold. Ultra okay. And That's one shoe. And Yeezys. Okay. And I like the those. Uh, what are those ones? Let's I just was say wearing? the Yeezy V twos. Period. Yeah. Have you seen the new or? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. V twos only. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I would still debate V twos. I mean, they're cool, but Ultra Boost. I have a few pairs. I like them a lot, but. Yeah. Or, uh, the Yeezy Crocs or whatever they are. Yeah, dude. Oh stop. my god. Stop, bro. <laughs> sandals. Yeah. Three hundred dollar fucking foam sandals. Yeah. All, All right. right. I actually oh have been. God. I have been purposely trying not to wear a lot of. Uh, I don't know where Adidas. I mean, a lot of Nike stuff's made in China. Yeah. You know what I mean. So like, I've been like, all right, I'm gonna start wearing American made shit. Yeah. Dude, you can't find. <laughs> yeah. Boots. I can find boots. Yeah. Yeah. But that's about it. But you can find boots. Like I know. Thursday boots, I wear those a lot, and they're made in, like, Italy and in Argentina and shit like that, which I'd rather do. Um, but, man, it's, hard. it's very hard to find American-made stuff today. It's hard out there, man. It is. <laughs> it is. I'm trying to support the country and yeah. buy American-made stuff, but not easy. Yeah. All right. Well, one thing that is easy is answering these questions. So let's start. <laughs> A great transition. <laughs> All right, um, we got lots from the podcast forum, so make sure you check that out in the description, and it is also in the Facebook group, so let's start off. It well, First one is going to come from Izrata Farquhar. It's a broad question, so how would, <laughs> yeah. Lord Farquhar. How, would you, how would yourself and the team go about supporting clients over a uh, Christmas period with their nu- nutrition training goals? I literally... Okay, so for context, I don't know the questions before we start, so I didn't do this on purpose, but I literally just shared something on my story because somebody uh, tagged me in it. Chris Page tagged me in it. He's a client of mine. He had mm-hmm. me on his podcast, and it was it, one of the questions about holidays. And I and basically, I talk about it's a holiday, not a holiday month. Yeah. It's not a holiday week. It's a holiday. Even within that holiday, it's a holiday 12 hours because you're not awake. Do you know what I mean? So you can really go ham all day on Christmas and you'll be fine. Like it's really not going to set you back that far. Uh, We got to remember that. So the way we, we help clients in multiple ways. First and foremost, we talk to them on the mental side of things. So I posted this today as well. And it's just a good, a good quote for this. Um, Obviously it's a holiday. That's why I'm posting stuff. Um, But I wrote, if you work out four times a week, that's 208 sessions per year. And if you follow a diet 90% of that time, you'll be successful 328 days out of that year. Stop stressing about one missed workout or falling off your diet for a day or a weekend. Happens to everybody. Being consistent the majority of the time matters most. So the point of that is you're probably not going to train on Christmas. You're probably going to eat cookies. If you're like me, you're going to drink Kahlua and coffee, and you're going to have fun. Do whatever. It's still not going to be enough to set you that far back. So first and foremost, enjoy the holiday. Chill out. Do not bring a food scale or a MyFitnessPal app to the table. Just fucking enjoy the day. Secondly... We try to educate clients on what energy balance is, right? We don't want to not teach people how the law of thermodynamics works because weight loss comes down to this principle. It's science. It's like gravity. You have calories in versus calories out. Can't get around it. But it's not just a daily intake. It's a weekly intake. So if we look at, if your calorie intake is 2,000 calories a day, and that's 14,000 calories per week on a seven-day schedule, you have Christmas day and you hit 4,000 calories, Okay, how do we reduce 2,000 calories the rest of the week to balance that out? Pretty fucking simple. I don't know the math off the top of my head, but yeah. actually I think it'd be 500 calorie deficit per day for six days. 
No, that's 3,000 calories. That's even more. Four days. Four days. Two yeah. days before, two days after Christmas, drop your calories f- five, by 500. Or every day, drop them 250 to 350, right? Like the point is you just lower your calories on those other days. By the end of that seven-day period, you're still at 14,000 calories. It's one big math equation. And this gives you a lot of flexibility. Now, again, I said you shouldn't track on Christmas. I don't believe you should track on holidays. You should be able to be intuitive because if you're tracking macros and being coached on macros properly, you actually understand the science of nutrition to an extent, right? You, you at least know things about like how this is about five ounces of meat and this type of meat has higher fat, higher protein. This is a low carb source. This is a high, you, you'll learn those things. So you don't need to track, but you can kind of intuitively go through your day, be mindful, not overdo it in anything and, and know I probably went over about a thousand calories, probably went over about 2000 calories, whatever it may be. And then just balance it out. Yeah. You're going to be totally fine. Um, so just that's, I mean, that's really how we support clients is like, Instead of trying to give them too much structure, it's explaining the law of thermodynamics so they really understand that, so they know we can balance this out, don't overthink it, and then also giving them the permission to just have some fun on the holidays. A lot of times, that's all they need. They need permission because otherwise, they're going to shame themselves and feel guilty for going off the deep end or eating too much or whatever it may be. It's our job to be like, hey, that's what the holidays are for, so fucking enjoy it. Don't worry about it. Don't overthink it. It's not going to regress you. We're going to be able to adjust. You should enjoy the day. It's actually going to be more productive for the long term. And that's really important too. Like if we know anything from all the diet break research, it's primarily psychological. So if we have a day or two off the diet, that's actually going to help us be more adherent and consistent for months on end dieting. So if we really have like a long-term fat loss goal or health goal and we need to be consistent for the long run, the best thing we can do for ourselves is essentially to what? I mean, take a break, right? And then come back to it later. So if, even if that means you're not tracking it. Not too far later though. Yeah. But I mean, even if it's two days, it's a mental yeah. break and then you yeah. jump back in, you're going to be consistent for, for a longer period of time. So, um, yeah, I think for us, it's like educating them on the basics, fundamentals of science, and then also just giving them permission to enjoy the holiday. I mean, that's what it's for. Once you get to a certain age, it's mainly just about being with family and eating food. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's about Jesus Christ if we really look at it, but, yeah. but I think like when I was a kid, it's all about presents. Yeah. Right. Now it's like, I just want to eat. Yeah. I don't care. Most of my presents I get are like things for the house that Shannon wants and yeah. they're labeled to me. And I'm like, the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> thanks dad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant your gift from Shannon. Oh, or no. Just, or really gifts for her to put <laughs> No. But from your other family. Yeah. 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 No, uh, Shannon does good. She, she figures out stuff I want. I never know what to tell her, but yeah, my, my family does that every fucking year. Yeah. We, uh, it was funny. We were opening gifts last night with her in-laws for the kids. And, uh, it's so funny cause you get so excited for like, like we got this one thing for, uh, Gabriel, her nephew. And we're like so excited because we know he's going to be super hyped about it, but they get so amped up about opening that they go, Oh, this is cool. And they throw it down. They go, where's the next one? And yeah. they just want to open. You're like, bro, what the fuck? Yeah. I was excited about that. That's that age. Dude, they just go through them like this. And yeah. you're just, oh, there you go. Yeah. It's done. It's hilarious though. I'd rather, well, I mean, obviously I guess everybody at our age would rather get like a meaningful gift or something, but I would rather like find one gift that I'm just like jacked on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, that's, and that's where like, I, I like giving gifts like that like that have meaning or like many gifts because i want them to be able to open things that are useful yeah. and you know shit like that depends but. on who it is or their age yeah. yeah 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 absolutely all right cool let's uh go to the next one we got one coming from anonymous that says how to get out of a bench plateau i finally hit a plate on bench and can get it for a solid two to three res but have been stuck at it 
for a couple months. I tried to do lower weight, higher rep as well, and I just can't get stronger. I also get a pain in my collarbone during the movement. Any tips on this? Yeah. Okay, so there's there's uh, multiple ways to go about it. Like, number one, just to provide context, I'm going to give you very generic solutions because the only way for me to give you a forcer answer for you, the person answering this question, how to break your bench press plateau is for an assessment. Yeah. I need to see you bench because it could be shoulder stability. It could be weak triceps, weak pecs, weak anterior deltoids. It could be weak lats. It could be so many different things. Yeah. You could have poor thoracic extension and not be able to create enough drive. I mean, it could be anything. So, um, and all those things are going to lead to different things. All right, we need to work more triceps. We need to do close grip. We need to do wide grip. We need to do incline. We need to do floor presses. We need to do presses with chains to f- build up your lockout. Like, there's countless tools. Um, if you're really into lifting, check out uh, the West Side Book of Methods by Louis Simmons, the creator of West Side Conjugate Method. He's really known for like all kinds of variations and, and uh, accommodating resistance. So adding bands, adding change, doing different variations to improve through sticking points because he trained powerlifters. So you can learn a lot in that book from that. But for most people, there's a few ways to go about this, right? If you're just a general person, everything looks fine. And you're like, I just can't get past this weight. Um, most likely you need a few different things. Number one, you might need to do more volume. You might just not have enough muscle mass. And that means doing more volume everywhere, building your lats, building your traps, traps, building your triceps, your chest, everything, just, just all around the board, doing more volume to build muscle. A bigger muscle in theory has the potential to be a stronger muscle. So you might just need more muscle tissue. Uh, the other thing you could do is a very, very simple progressive overload scheme. So we could go with the, the classic, uh, what's his name? Uh, Milos, uh, of the book. Yeah. Milos rebuilding Milos. That's what, or is it just Milo? Milo, Milo, Milo. The old Italian story of the the kid who carried the the little baby calf up the hill every day, but as the calf grew and he got older, it got heavier, right? Progressive overload. Slowly, over time, he was just able to carry a big ass, and then at the end of it, he's carrying this fucking huge bowl, and he's just jacked. So how do you do that in your scenario? Add two and a half pound plates to the bar, right? A couple weeks later, take the two and a half off, add a five. A couple weeks later add two and a half again, right? And you're going to be doing bench press every day, every week, one to two (laughs) times a week for a long time. Uh, But you just slowly progress. You just add a little bit more weight. The other way to do that, you can do that same exact theory through reps. So you can get two to three reps. Cool. How many sets can you do two to three reps with? Figure that out first, because if you can go to the gym, you can do six sets of two to three reps. Perfect. You're going to do six sets of two to three until you can get six sets of three constantly. So it's not like three, three, two, two, two. It's three across the board. Once you do that, now you're trying to get three to four, right? Once you can get four, you're trying to get four to five. And you just literally just add a rep. You don't change the weight. You keep 135 on there. You do it every week. Over months, you're going to be able to do, end up getting 10 reps with that 135 pounds because you built muscle tissue. And then once you build it up quite a bit, now you go, okay, let me go back down to two to three. What's my max for two to three? Let's do it again. Yeah. You know, so... Regardless, I think it's like, it's a patience thing. You know, uh, I'm not saying this is the case with you asking this question, but there's plenty of times where we get questions like this. And if I really ask the person like, oh, how long ago did your plateau hit? They're like two weeks ago. I'm like, that's nothing. Keep fucking benching. You know what I mean? Like you need time doing this stuff weeks and weeks and weeks on end in order to develop it. Not changing too many variables either. Just do the same thing and just. How long does it, how long would you say as a coach, it takes to establish or actually be able to say I'm at a plateau? I think it depends on your experience level, Mm. right? Um, Because like, look, if you're, if you're a beginner, it could be a form issue, 
So you're not even at a strength plateau. You just have bad form. So you're not putting yourself in a good position and your joints will not support any heavier load because of the position you're mm. in. And if we can coach you up, right, all of a sudden you, your bench can jump immediately. Um, sometimes it's a neurological thing. Uh, this is where like pin presses or even just holding heavy fucking weight helps a ton or yeah. doing force negative. So like you stand behind me, we put on way more weight than I can press and I control it down as slow as I can. You help me up yeah. and I do reps like that. So it's just the negative. So you are stretching muscle tissue, build muscle, so on and so forth. But more than anything, you're training your nervous system to be able to handle heavier loads and your joints to be able to handle it. Um, but it's hard to say because an advanced person, uh, I would say the, the more advanced you get, the longer that plateau is. It, it, it takes for you to say you're really at a plateau because gotcha. because gains are going to be f- few and far between yeah. right so if i can't bench more after like three months i'm like okay i'm at a plateau yeah as a beginner if it's been three weeks you're at a plateau you know it's just two completely different things and we all have a certain capacity um i would say it also depends on the lift this is something i don't hear anybody talk about but i've always thought about where if somebody like somebody's going to hit for example i'll hit a plateau on my overhead press way sooner than i would on my deadlift why? Because at 5'9", 175 pounds, I could 100%, if I really committed to strength training and all this stuff, I could get close to 600-pound deadlift. I can't clo- deadlift close to that right now. I did 475 the other day, and yeah. it was pretty good. But 475 or 3? 4. 475. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 465, I'm sorry, because it was the four plates I, and then I just 25. Thought, I thought you said different on your story. Um, and w- with... With that being said, though, like my body has the capability of deadlifting 600 pounds if I focus on it. I was powerlifting yeah. all that shit. My body doesn't have the capacity to overhead press 600 pounds. Mm. It just, it, it's not going to happen. I can't, like, I physically can't do that. I don't care unless I'm Superman. It's not happening. But w- what that means is, like, I'm going to hit a plateau sooner. I would say, like, if I overhead pressed 200 pounds, I'd be a fucking monster mm. for one rep. Like, that's a heavy overhead press i think i've done 185 so actually maybe 225 would be more of a like an accurate thing yeah. but 185 is like a really strong overhead press for my size that's over my body weight for one rep but 600 pounds is over three times my body weight yeah. you know what i mean so the capacity is different so i think plateaus depend on the, the the lift as well because um if somebody hits a plateau on their overhead press or their bench press and it's been like three weeks and it's it's a good number i'm like yeah you're probably at a plateau if somebody uh, hits a plateau that soon on their deadlift. I just don't think they're like going hard enough. Like you, you could probably lift heavier. You're just not having good form. You need to focus on it more. Um, not be afraid to lift heavy weight. Don't be afraid of injury, which you should be cautious of, but people have the capacity to do heavier things with their legs yeah. and upper body, plain yeah. and simple. Um, so I think it depends on a lot of things. Totally. It's hard to say. Good. It's good answers. All right, let's go to the next one. It's from Paige Bab. It says, can you go over meal timing and how do you do yours with a busy schedule? Okay. Um, let's see. There's a, So number one, I would say this is actually something I'm going to improve going into the new year. December has been horrible for So my should diet. I answer this question in a month or two? Yeah, should we come back to this? <laughs> um, I'm hiring somebody on my team to take over my diet because I need accountability and I need more of a meal plan structure. I eat the same fucking thing every day. So for somebody like me, it makes sense to program macros and then create a meal plan with somebody and go, okay, just eat this shit every day. And then once we're ready to adjust, we'll adjust the meal plan because I don't change my diet Monday through Friday. Um, sometimes not even Sundays either, just Saturday really. But when I was doing it well, uh, the, the way I meal prepped is every Sunday I would meal prep five meals. So Sunday night I would meal prep for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. 
I wouldn't recommend doing more than that. Five days is pushing it in the fridge. Like that's when it's like it's on its last day yeah. for sure. And it also depends what you're cooking. Yeah. Different things last different time length. Um, in the and uh, for our members, if you're listening, if you go into the members portal, I have a meal prep mini course. So it's like the I called it the meal prep hackers course, and it's a presentation I did on this, how to meal prep effectively, all the tools you need, the equipment, how to organize it. But I also talked about how long there's like a whole slide on how long shit lasts in the fridge. So you can actually know like, okay, what did I meal prep? Okay. If I meal prep chicken, how many days can I put it in the fridge for before it goes bad? And then it like allows you to figure this out better. Um, so if you're a member, you can go check that out in the portal. But, uh, I do, it was like when I was meal prepping really good, I would do my Sunday night meal prep, which would usually be like a green veggie, so let's say like green beans or Brussels or something like that with ground, actually in ground turkey. Uh, usually there's some oil in the process of cooking that. Bell peppers, onions, like kind of like a whole mix and then white rice and I just put that shit in five Tupperwares and realistically Shannon cooked that for me and then I put that in five Tupperwares and then my lunch was always overnight oats, which I do the night before. So it would be like, uh, I would have multiple meals. So that would be meal two Meal three would be overnight oats before I work out. And that's Greek yogurt, whey protein, oats, and blueberries mixed in a thing. And I do that the night before, put it in the fridge. Um, and then I don't meal prep any other meals. It was just those two meals while I'm at work. I ate breakfast before I left the house, which would usually be eggs, egg whites with whole eggs, oats, uh, nut butter, just whatever. Um, usually the biggest meal of the day, two smaller protein carb meals, train, and then post-workout would be dinner, which we would cook, Shannon would cook right then. We don't prep that. And then dessert's always the case in protein. Yeah. So like clockwork, uh, but I only prep those two meals. My, my whole thing is like, I'm going to prep the least amount of meals possible because I don't like reheated food yeah. that much. God, I hate it. I, it's not my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> so if I can eat at home, that's why even right now, I, I haven't even been doing the turkey thing just because I'm like, all right, I'm just going to eat a bigger breakfast and there's going to be more hours in between my meals. And then I'm going to have my Greek yogurt thing because yeah. that's not reheated. So it always tastes good. But yeah. The, the thing with that too is, is there's no magic between six meals versus five meals versus four meals versus three meals. Really anywhere between three to six is going to be ideal for the things we want. Energy, muscle protein synthesis, recovery. So figure out what's the easiest to adhere to for yourself. And sometimes that is doing less meals per day. So you don't have to prep as many meals. Yeah. You know, if you can prep less meals because you're only eating three times a day, fucking perfect. Mm. Eat a big breakfast at home. Ha- just have your prepped lunch. Then you have dinner. You're golden. Yeah. Maybe a snack at night. So, hmm. Would you say reheated food better meat or chicken? Chicken is meat. You mean like steak, like red <laughs> <Yeah>. meat? <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> chicken for sure. Yeah, I, 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 I think like when you reheat steak, it like fruit or apples. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it, to me it recooks a little bit and gets kind of rubbery. I don't like it. What? Red meat. Really? Yeah. I, don't, yeah. I, don't know. I think it's still juicy. Like chicken, I feel like it's so dry when you reheat it. Mm. Just like eating like cardboard. It depends what how, how you cook it, I guess. Uh, um, initially. Yeah. 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 That's true. Um, But I I don't even do I usually do ground turkey. Mm. And that's like the easy. That probably, out of all the meats, ground beef or turkey tastes the best reheated. I would agree with that. Okay. And I, I usually put sauce in there anyway. So yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. you know. But Let's try that ground beef. I'd never eat ground beef, period. Grass-fed ground beef is super, not only fucking tastes amazing, but super good for you because uh, grass-fed cows are going to be higher. It's higher fat, but it's going to be higher in DHA yeah. and, and uh, omega-3s and yeah. vitamins and minerals. And Beef and steak is so much better for you than chicken. I mean, chicken's lower calorie, and so I eat it all the time too when I'm dieting, but yeah. steak has so many vitamins Get and minerals ready. in it. <laughs> yeah. Dude, it's like I went to Blue Max 
this like last week and uh Shannon's dad was at my house so I like picked up an extra steak and he's like no I'm leaving he left and I was like all right I ate two fucking probably like 10 ounce steaks oh my bro. god they're massive but it's so good <laughs> I was like I could I don't care and the meat sweats like crazy I just ate steak that night damn it was so good <laughs> no veggies right uh-uh they're uh <laughs> They're sirloin, they're they're petite or not they're, yeah. not they're petite, they're premium sirloin yeah. is what I got. It was yeah. like, oh fuck. So good. I think I actually could honestly follow the carnivore diet. Whoa. I love steak so much. Dude, you you've gotta love. I love steak. The the thing is my wallet doesn't love steak. If I had to eat steak four times a day because yeah. all I could eat, yeah. then my I'd be spending so much fucking money. Because yeah. I like nice steak, yeah. not cheap steak. It's so good. But shit, I'll go there and buy I'll run through a whole pound of beef jerky. From there too, it's like thirty bucks. Thirty bucks a pound. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. Twenty nine ninety nine. But if you think about it, it's dehydrated. So really, like a a pound of it's beef jerky lot. is probably like three pounds of meat. Yeah, dehydrated down. Yeah. All the water's taken out. Yeah, that's why my gut is fucked after I have a whole pound <laughs> of, of beef, beef jerky. jerky. Yeah, so good though. I want to take a brief moment to interrupt this podcast and shout out our sponsor, Legion Athletics, the world's number one best-selling brand of all natural sports supplements. Guys, if you're listening to this, you probably take supplements. I'm assuming you take a whey protein. You probably have some pre-workout. If you're really focused on health, you might take a, a multivitamin, a green drink, a fish oil, whatever it is. Legion probably has it. And they are going to be using science-backed ingredients. Everything is actually dosed effectively and clinically proven. Everything is naturally sweetened and flavored. Everything is lab tested, made in the U.S., and you're going to get a money-back guarantee. So the reason I'm bringing this up is not only because they're a podcast sponsor, but I truly value the team at Legion, and I truly value what they are doing in the supplement space. And one of the things that is really frustrating for a lot of people that come to us is trying to find a brand where they can actually get quality supplements and they can trust the result that's going to come from them. Most people just search Amazon for the best result they can find, and they trust Amazon reviewers. And don't get me wrong, if something has a lot of stars and good reviews, that's awesome. But you can also pay people to leave reviews. So go with a company that you can trust that is backed up not only by science and actual researchers in the lab doing things, but coaches like myself who have tons of experience and use this stuff on a regular basis. So guys, stop wasting money. Stop searching and searching and searching for the best product out there and just jump on Legion Athletics. They are the best and I promise you that. You can head over to buylegion.com slash boom boom and save 20% on your first order and start earning points so you can get kickbacks on future orders and eventually free products. So one more time, that's buylegion.com slash boom boom. Without any further ado, let's get back into the podcast. All right, cool. Uh, let's go to the next one. We got one coming from McKenna. It says, what intensification techniques are your favorite to include in a program? I love a good classic drop set. Drop sets to me are just the most fun. Uh, after you rack a heavy load, immediately drop the weight down 25 to 50% and just max out reps. Um, the problem is you, you got to be careful with this. I do this all the time with lateral raises, uh, flies, push-ups, curls. Very rarely with my legs just because it's so brutal. But um, on upper body days for isolation work, I do it all the time because it's just an easy way. It's not going to overly fatigue you. But if you do that on your compound lifts all the time, you would just fry your nervous system too quickly. And then the rest of your session would be shitty because you just fatigued yourself metabolically. Uh, so... I like drop sets though. Those are always great. Um, 
I like doing contrast sets too, where we go, it's kind of like a drop set, but you would do this for your compound lift. You would go one to two reps with like 90 to 95% of your one rep max, mm. usually one rep, but like really heavy, close to sub max effort, or it is sub max, close to maximum effort strength. One rep, rack it. It's best if somebody's there, they peel weight and then you do six to eight reps. So essentially what you're doing is you're priming your nervous system and it's kind of like a slingshot, right? You're you're cocking it back and then you sling it forward is, is the way I look at it because you prime your nervous system. You When you do that with that one rep, you're recruiting more motor units and muscle fibers and then you're exhausting those muscle fibers mm. with six plus reps of slow, constant tension, right? So um, just a really cool strength and hypertrophy uh, intensification technique. So I like that one. Drop sets are always fun to throw in there. Um, the I mean... You could say supersets. I mean, giant sets are fun on certain days, but they just, they, they, so a giant set would be doing like three to four exercises on the same muscle group back to back to back. So imagine doing like a incline dumbbell bench press followed by a flat dumbbell bench press followed by a decline dumbbell bench press followed by a push up. It's a mechanical drop set and it's a giant set because you're doing four exercises all hitting the chest and they're getting easier as you do them. So whatever your heaviest load on a incline presses, you could do way more in a flat. So when you go from incline to flat, you don't have to drop the weight. You just keep repping and then decline. Same thing. It's an advantage. You can keep going. Um, but you could also do a dumbbell bench press followed by a chest five followed by a push up. That's a giant set, uh, really fun, but so fatiguing that your volume and intensity ends up dropping. So yeah. you can do it at the end of a workout and it's cool, um, but it, it, it's fun. And these are things that I like throwing in for clients every once in a while just to spice up training and challenge them and have fun. And I think there is advantage to exhausting a muscle to failure and doing it in a safe way. So You're saying this goes hand in hand with a giant set? Yeah, okay. exactly. So things like uh, the program Bulletproof Bodybuilding, we do this at times too. And even in the high volume hypertrophy program where there's, there's certain days by, by the end of the session, like on a push day, for example, in the high volume hypertrophy, I know you're not going to hit anything for your push muscles, chest, shoulders, triceps directly until Thursday. And that's a Monday. So at the end of the session, I'm fine doing something like a giant set where we just demolish your delts or your triceps or your chest, because I know you're not going to need it for a few days anyway. But if you're doing an upper lower split, a full body split, something that is higher frequency, it's too fatiguing for you to come back a day or two later and hit the same muscle group, which is where I would avoid it. Um, but those are those are really fun. I like doing stuff like that. Um, but I would say contrast sets are probably my favorite. Contrast. One, contrast, yeah. Yep. One heavy load, and then uh, right after that, racking it, peeling weight, and then hitting six-plus reps with like 70% of your one rep max. All right, next one will be coming from Anonymous. It says it's a question coming from Belfast, Ireland. Mm. So, uh, regarding back squats. Uh, I've been videoing myself to check on form, and it looks like like coming up from the hole, I seem to fall forward a little, and as I come back into, as I come back up, I go back into place. I've tried to lighten the load and continue videoing myself with my feet pointing forward, shoulder width apart, and trying to make it more quad dominant as before I would have used more of a hinge when squatting. I've tried to elevate my heels slightly, and it seems to make the forward lean at the bottom of the movement even worse. I've also tried pause squats, but I've just got fit, fatigued even quicker. I'm not also a fan of front squats just because I can't seem to keep the bar up to my chest upright and stop it tipping from my lower back and hurting. Any advice on how to stop this horrible lean and keep the bar on straight on a straight path both up and down? So a few things here. Number one, try a safety bar. 
that might help a little bit. It distributes the weight a little bit differently. Number two, fix whatever you need to fix in order to do a front squat. Because one of my first recommendations was going to be to start doing front squats because it teaches you how to stay upright. Because if you don't stay upright, and this is why he doesn't like them, he's having trouble staying upright. So guess what happens? The bar falls forward. Yeah. When the ball is falling forward, you can't keep the good position to hold it. But the reason it's falling forward is because you can't stay upright. And if we're trying to fix being upright, we need to do something that challenges your ability to stay tall because with a front squat it's self-limiting so if you can't stay upright the bar drops back squat is not self-limiting if you can't stay upright you lean forward the bar is still on your fucking back and it's gonna hurt yeah um so you got to fix the front squat so wrist mobility uh tissue work on your forearms so you can get into a better rack position front rack position to get your elbows forward uh grip on the bar you can also do the crossing the arms if you need to um you can even wear a, a safety bar backwards, so the pad's in front of you, and you just hold the pad. It's mm. actually really easy. It's kind of uncomfortable, but for people who can't do front rack squats, it's actually pretty helpful to be able to go heavy in the front loaded position. Um, but definitely do that. You can also do zercher squats. It's just if you don't have a zercher bar, they just fucking hurt your elbow so bad, and that's where you would carry it like yeah. in your elbow pits. Um, but all of those things are front-loaded squats, and what that does is it forces you to stay upright in order to maintain integrity of your core and keep the position of the bar in place. And if you can't do that, then you're not going to complete the lift. So it's a good self-limiting testing exercise to allow you and challenge you to work on what you need to work on right now. Um, so figure that out. Uh, I know you don't like them, but sometimes the best exercises for you are the ones we don't like. Uh, now, the other thing I would consider is that you are just a hip dominant squatter, right? There's people who have longer femurs and I don't care what you do, you're going to be a hip dominant squatter. So if you're a hip dominant squatter, the best thing to do is to work on things like uh, the McGill Big Three. We talked about this stuff with uh, Aaron Horshig on yep. the Squat University episode. But doing things that are going to create more trunk stiffness because trunk stiffness is going to allow you to brace and support better in that hip hinge position people are more likely to get low back injuries when they have a hip hinge dominant squat from long femurs because they sit back into it so their lower back's in a vulnerable position right but if you build your trunk stiffness the stability of your core and the strength of your core you're going to be able to brace and handle that load better and your spine's going to be safer just because you've built the strength in your core to handle that so you're probably going to want to work on trunk stiffness um you might need a wider stance sometimes that helps as well but there's certain people where it's like, I don't care if you elevate your heels, even anything you do, like if you got a hip dominant squat, you got a hip dominant squat. Um, thoracic extension and mobility will help as well because uh, thoracic extension is also what allows you to stay upright in posture. So for a lot of people who can't front squat, that's also why. Um, or for anybody listening who has ever front squatted really heavy and then the next day your mid back is just fucking sore as yeah. hell and you're kind of like, why is my mid back sore on a leg exercise? Well, it's because your thoracic spine is doing so much work and the stabilizers around your thoracic spine are usually your low trap. And people don't realize that your traps, although they go around your neck, those are your upper traps. You have upper, mid, and lower traps. So there's three sections of the trap and it actually goes all the way down your mid spine. So if your thoracic spine is doing a lot of work, the, the low traps are going to be firing like crazy to create that stability and support. And that's during front squat. You know, that's why, like, if you look at Olympic lifters, like at the Olympic level, a lot of them have insane backs yeah. and you wonder, you're like, I mean, they kind of deadlift cause they're doing cleans and squat, but they, their main thing is squats. And well, yeah. the reason their mid back is so ripped is cause they're constantly doing front squats yeah. because yeah, you got to get good at back squats too. But if you're doing cleans and snatches and things like that, everything is pulling from the front. You got to be able to squat from the front position, mm -hmm. you know? So Damn. I think personally, like if somebody was told me like, 
I think we've had this question before, and I don't remember if I answered this with this, but I should have. But like, if you had to choose three exercises, and that's the only thing you could ever yeah, do, yeah. front squat would definitely be one of them because I think I said a Bulgarian split squat. And I said that because usually splitting your stance is easier on your back. But if you can get in a front squat position, your back's pretty safe and it builds your total body. So like a back squat or a front squat, a chin up and a dumbbell bench press would be like three amazing exercises. Yeah. Most functional exercises, like for, for life, I would say front squat, um, probably chin up and then overhead press because you rarely lay flat on your back and press something off your chest, mm-hmm. but you often lift things over your head. Um, and then, yeah, if you think of a front squat, like if, if you had to like pick somebody up and save them, you would never throw them over your back like a barbell and, and rack it on your traps. You know, you would like hold them in the front or like throw them over your shoulder. Yeah. Which front squat's going to help more. Yeah. I mean, very rare case like that's how firefighters hold people is over their neck. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Like, you're not doing that. No. Yeah. Not and you, you got to know how to get them up there. Totally. That's where I wouldn't even Absolutely. fucking know. I'm um, just thinking that same thing. Yeah. The, and Can that's, you climb up there? <laughs> well, that's in that, that sandbag over there is 100 pounds. Yeah. That fucking thing is so heavy to pick up in front of you. And 100 pounds is a small person. <laughs> Very small you know what I mean? person. So, like, thinking about that is actually kind of crazy. That's crazy. That's pretty nuts. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I, think, I think it's 100 pounds. I actually don't know. Yeah. Because I got a bag that fits 100 pounds, <laughs> yeah. but I stole Blakely's sand out of her sandbox yeah. to put yeah. it in there. I don't know. Which bag says 100 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't steal it, people. It was winter. She wasn't going to play I, it anymore. I, I asked her. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't get No, I snuck it because she would have freaked out if she let me yeah. take it. So I got a question about your traps. Like, mm-hmm. this is super random, but I was at physical therapy, and this guy was, like, showing, like, this guy was having, like, spine problems or something, and he was explaining that there was, there was padding on the sides, each side of your spine that goes all the way down from your neck down to your back, mm-hmm. and it's, like, he was explaining there was like padding on each side of your spine. Is that your traps maybe? No, that's your uh, erector spinae, mm. which is, uh, some people call it spinal erectors. Okay. Um, that's what it was, yeah. But they're literally like, they almost look like kidneys. Yeah. And they're like little muscles all that the go way all the way up. Yeah. So the traps are underneath that and support. Like the traps are like a big, almost diamond shape. They come up and then out and then they angle in okay. up to your neck. Um, but the spinal erectors are just pads. So like when I had low back issues, my lower spinal erectors were super weak and they'd yeah. get inflamed. And it legit, if I took my shirt off, it literally looked like I had a kidney issue where my kidneys were like popping out because they were so swollen. Yeah. It looked like two big kidneys just popping out mm. and they would be super inflamed. But it was just the muscle. Damn. The erector spinae. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's uh, move on here. We have one coming from Vidal Funtes. It says, what is the best approach to nutrition for fat loss? Ca- count calories and macros just are, or I think these are options. Count calories and macros, just track protein target, or just eating nothing but whole food, whole food when you are hungry and trying to eat intuitively. So in the order she said, that would be from experienced to beginner right? I don't think any one of those is better. I think all of those are better depending on a certain situation. So just eating more whole foods, like number one, I would never recommend to anybody only eating whole foods and nothing else. Because if you create a restrictive plan that only allows whole foods, the person is not going to sustain that, right? Like you're going to feel better. It's probably best that you primarily eat whole foods hundred percent, but that's also implying you can't have a pack of Quaker oatmeal because that's processed, you know what I mean? Like, so like you have to be careful with this yeah. and like, Hey, there's some flexibility here. And guess what? You want to have fucking ice cream with your kid once a week. 
do it, right? We're practicing whole foods, but we're not limiting, eliminating everything else. But for somebody who's never tracked, who is just getting started, who eats like shit and needs to change their habits, 100% just focus on food quality, you're going to drop a lot of weight. You're going to get healthier. At a certain point, they plateau, and that's when you would graduate them into tracking just calories and protein so you can regulate their energy balance, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, and make sure they're getting enough protein. And then once they plateau there, then we go, okay, let's dial in protein, fats, and carbs. Um, A lot of the people that work for us, work with us, just skip right to the tracking everything. But we also have people in each of those other categories. That's the whole point of tailored coaching. Um, so it kind of, it really just depends. The best solution is, is dependent on where you're at in your journey. Now, if I had to give an answer, I would say protein, fats, and carbs, because we have taught people who have the desire to understand all of them and track all of them, even though they've never tracked anything before, they're brand new. We have successfully taught them how to do it very easily. It's not rocket science. As long as they're willing to do it and they want to be educated, it's easy, right? At, I shouldn't say it's easy. It's simple. Yeah. Right? It takes work. So it's never easy. But uh, it's very simple to teach somebody how to track protein, fats, and carbs and how to consistently get results from them. But the reality is, is, you know, the more metrics we measure, the more we can manage those metrics. And the more we can manage the metrics, the better the results will be. So if we have, uh, for example, like going back to like we've used this analogy a million times, GPS, right? You need the starting address and the ending address, right? Where are they at now? Where is their goal? Right. And then you have the path. Now there's going to be different paths to get there, but if you just have go Northeast, that's like just eating whole foods. You're going to get closer to your goal and you're going to be heading in the right direction, but you're not going to get to the very specific goal. You're not going to be able to get there the fastest. You're not going to get the most optimal result. Right. And then once we start adding streets, turns, faster routes, shit like that, looking for traffic in the GPS, that's where we're like, okay, we're tracking everything. The more metrics we have in the GPS, the faster we're going to get to our result, plain and simple. So if we use protein, fats, and carbs, we can ensure for sure that we're setting up a diet to give you better energy, better recovery, better satiety, better digestion, uh, better muscle growth, better fat loss, because there is a specific ratio of macros that leads to better fat loss results. It's proven by research. So it's kind of, to me, I would call it the principle of specificity. It matters a fuck ton, but it depends on how much specificity you can handle from an adherence perspective. Because if you can't handle a lot of specificity and it's just going to overwhelm you, then that's an issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Touche. You know what I was just thinking? What would be really like, cool? Completely off topic. So if you oh. have something on topic, go ahead and say no, it I, I'm just thinking about your answer. Yeah. But go ahead. Um, if iTunes had like a edited, like you could choose, like, you know, censored. You could just choose, like you could do that on TV and yeah. shit like that. I mean, can you? I don't think so. You can't and they it. probably can't, can't because there's so many regular. They'd have to have a really good. You can't choose that on TV. Uh, on YouTube? Something. I mean, I what? think you can. Or music. I guess it's two separate uploads on Spotify. Yeah. For parents. I'm just saying, like, I wish there was, like, you know, somebody could just click edited. Because I just think about people listening to car. I do curse a lot. Yeah. And I respect people when they, because I try to not in front of my daughter. But yeah. um, it's hard not to. Yeah. That's just how you talk. But yeah. um, <laughs> I just thought of that. And I was like, that'd be fucking cool if they could do that. <laughs> <laughs> speaking the devil <laughs> all right cool um let's go to the next one we have one from can oh Bido has a let me just read this also if you are in a 700 weekly calorie deficit does it okay second question from Vado says also if you are in a 700 weekly 700 calorie weekly deficit does it matter if you have a deficit daily of 100 calories or as long as at the end of the week you have a deficit target End of the week is the main thing. 
Um, if we look at just what science says, it would say by as long as you have that calorie deficit by the end of the week, that's all that matters. It wouldn't matter if it was 700 calories on one day or 100 calories seven days a week. However, you have to also consider the ramifications of either one, you know. So depending on the severity of the deficit, depending on your training, depending on um, your adherence to it, depending on energy, all those kind of things, right? So it, it really just depends, uh, especially because like there's times where people do the 700 calorie deficit and the next day they overeat because they were so hungry from the big deficit. And if you end up going through the cycle of that doing that, then it's kind of pointless. So technically speaking, it just is about the weekly, but there's a lot of indirect things that calorie deficits create both positive and negative that you have to be aware of that can also directly slash indirectly affect the results you see in the gym or with your body. Totally. So depends. All right, cool. Um, the next one is going to come from Cameron Spitzer. It says Carmen, Carmen. What did I say? Cameron? Yeah. Yeah. Carmen, my fault. Let's do one more. All right. Uh, we got, this is completely off topic. Oh, good. I like that. Things you need to know before getting a dog or things to consider, mm. especially for people that cannot take their dog to the gym or to work. Yeah. Well, your um, gym is work. <laughs> all right. So, number one, you cannot be grossed out by poop. They're going to shit everywhere. Number two, they don't mind their poop. So, they will step in it and they will lay in it and they don't care. So, you have to be ready to clean the shit out of their fur and out of the blankets and out of your rug, whatever else they shit on. Um, Number three, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I think I'm trying to think of funny things now. Um, I don't really know. I mean, I, I, we kind of did it on a whim, so I don't really have I'm not like a You're dog prepared. guy. prepared. Yeah. Uh, I, got, I bought dog lessons ASAP, yeah. so I would recommend that to anybody. It, it actually has helped quite a bit, and they teach you little things that you just wouldn't think of that play a big role. Yeah. Um, at least for being a first-time dog owner. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I got my dog at 14 weeks, which really was helpful because the, the dog breeder, who obviously knows what the hell she's doing, was able to train the dog for 14 weeks straight, which is very rare to happen. Usually they sell puppies at like eight weeks old at mm. max. You know what I mean? Um, eh, maybe maybe that's like, there's. I know there's a minimum that you, they have to be a certain amount of weeks old. I don't yeah, know what it is, but um, point being is usually you don't get a dog that's already 75% potty trained like we did. We got really lucky with that. Um, but it's new house. We don't have a door to the backyard directly. So that has been tough. So you gotta, you gotta think of all those things. We didn't think about that. And then all of a sudden we just have like shit everywhere. <laughs> and we're like, we can't blame him because our back door goes to a balcony, yeah. you know, and we're not going to let him downstairs to the basement where he'll walk the, right off that balcony. Oh yeah. And the basement is filled with, it's a toy room downstairs yeah. and that was lead the backyard. He just fucking, it's just like a room full of dog toys to him. He goes crazy. It's actually funny. If you let him down there, he freaks <laughs> out. Um, so we were like, oh shit, what are we gonna do? So we ordered turf pads from Amazon and we put those first in, in the house by the door and then we moved it closer, like by the window, by that back of the balcony. And then we moved it to the garage door and then we moved it in the garage and now he knows. Um, but the crazy thing about that too, is he doesn't whine. So like, you yeah. know, dogs usually go to the door and they whine yeah. and they go, oh, they gotta go to the bathroom. He'll just sit there. I'll just be like, damn, where's Bubba been? And the next thing I know, I walk in there and he's taking a shit in front of the door. And, and part of me is like, God damn it. Another part of me is like, you've probably been waiting here for like 20 minutes, bro. Yeah. Totally forgot about you. Yeah. Um, Say something. <laughs> dude, he, I, was, I was doing my 12-minute run test yesterday yeah. on the treadmill, right? And he's sitting right next to me. And I'm like, this is dope. He's just watching me, you know? <laughs> no, he had to go to the bathroom, but he doesn't whine. He's just sitting there watching me. And then finally, oh. he just turns around and starts pooping right next to me. And I'm just like, fuck. But I'm doing a test. <laughs> 
And he did it on the black, the black rubber. So I was like, I'm just going to clean it up when I'm done. So I keep running. And then he's sitting there staring at me, walks over the turf, looks at me, starts taking another shit. Oh, no. And, I, and then I jumped off treadmill. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. But again, I can't blame him. Yeah. I mean, the turf looks like grass. So, But um, point being is you have something for that. We, we've been training him with the bell, and he's actually starting to finally use it now. Good. He'll go up to the bell by the door. He doesn't do it with his paw. He just hits it with his nose, rings the bell, and then we know he's got to go to the bathroom. We let yeah. him out. Because he knows that turf's on the other side of the door. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just little things like that, I think, are huge. I mean, they teethe a lot, so you got to be ready for that. Um, if you have a kid, the teething thing is, a, is an issue because teething to us is like whatever – but teething to a three-year-old, it's like, he's attacking me. Yeah. And you're like, oh, shit. Totally. Freaks him out. So just be ready for that you stuff. You don't even know what a dog is. Yeah. yeah. It's it, literally. But um, honestly, like, the, the the thing to remember, too, is I think you should do a lot of research on the breeds. Because that's one thing I will say we did do. We were really looking to do a lot of different breeds over, really over, we've always wanted dogs. We've always looked it up every once in a while. Um, and we've ran through countless breeds that were like too hyper sheds too much. Like we just knew that a bulldog was going to be lo- not, doesn't shed very much and they're lazy as hell. So it's the chillest dog, which is perfect for our lifestyle. Yeah. So you got to find something like that. Um, and just remember, like if you don't have the, per- like a setup in your backyard where a dog can like have a huge kennel undercover and stuff like that, especially we live in Washington, it's raining all the time. Yeah. They got to go everywhere with you. That's one thing that we re- didn't realize. We're like, Oh, we're going to family dinner. That's where we Bubba to grandma's. Like, it's just, he goes everywhere, yeah. you know? It's, but luckily, he's chill. But you got to be ready for that because that's, that's hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, Dude, we um, could, I mean, I don't know how we do it, but we could do a whole episode on Bubba. Yeah, literally. <laughs> uh, if we did it on video with him, people would it, love it would it. get way more views because yeah. people love seeing him. But again, that just, I mean, you got to train him. Like, eventually, Bubba will be able to sit in the house and we'll leave him for hours and he'll be chill. But like right now, he's still a puppy. He's a puppy. He's yeah. 16 weeks or something like that. So he's going to be, Chewing up stuff, ripping apart stuff. We left him upstairs in our bedroom. Shannon was like, can you put him in the kennel while we open the kids' gifts? I'm like, yeah. I got up there. I was like, you don't need to go in the kennel, bro. You can just sit on your bed. Shut, shut my bedroom door. All of a sudden, we just hear all over the ceiling. And she's like, do you put him in the kennel? I'm like, no. <laughs> and he's just fucking running. I'm like, I'll go check. So, bro, I come upstairs. Oh, and there's like fumes coming out of me. Shannon's <laughs> slippers over there. He's underneath the the bed with a bunch of shit under the bed that he found. And then I go to get him and I realize that that's where Shannon's been hiding my presents. Oh, and no. I'm like, Oh fuck. I hope he didn't rip any of the presents, but I didn't want to look. Cause I didn't yeah. want, you know, so I dragged him out, put him in the kennel and then I didn't say anything about the presents. So we'll find, that was <laughs> we'll last night. <laughs> that was last night. So we'll find out. <laughs> She's gonna be like, Oh, I got you this, but Bubba took a bite out of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. That's my bad. Yeah. So, oh my yeah. God, dude. That just stresses me out. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, All right, highly recommend. I don't have pets or kids yet. So yeah, <laughs> we got both living through it. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, yeah, just use the uh, podcast form in the description below to ask a bunch of questions. That was some great questions. Or join the podcast Facebook group. Oh, Taylor Life podcast form. So great episode, great questions, and uh, have a oh, this is long after Christmas. Yeah, hope you had a good Christmas and New Year. Yep, talk to you guys next time.